Well, we are starting a new sermon series called Healthy Relationships. We need a little bit of that in our world today. And in fact, I just want to state something that maybe feels obvious as we start this series. And, and, and it's this, that, that sometimes people just suck. Like, like, at least that's, that's our experience, you know, if we're to be honest, like, it takes about five to ten minutes in the freeway to maybe have that experience, right? For those of you who commute, uh, it takes maybe a, a solid work week, and by, by Friday, you'll maybe have that experience, you know, unless you work at Antioch Fullerton, hopefully uh, that's not your experience. I don't know. Uh, give me some feedback, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, it, you can hop on news or Twitter or Facebook and it takes about five minutes to, to have that experience and get your adrenaline up a little bit or some frustration up or I can't believe this person is thinking or saying or whatever, X, Y, Z. And you know, I think we, we through often from generation to generation live with this concept that we are evolved better than and past the past generation sins, right? That, that we look back and we're like, I can't believe they did that. If I were in that generation's shoes, I definitely would have not have done that. We're evolving past our, our sins, you know? And then, you know, although I think in some ways our, our perspective is growing or maybe we have, um, you know, more knowledge about something or different approach on something, I think when 2020 hit, it kind of proved that that's generally not true. Like, like humans just stink sometimes. We have this thing called sin. C.S. Lewis calls this idea that we're just always getting better and we're always, you know, better than the last generation. He calls it chronological snobbery, <laughs> right? That, that I am better than my forefathers and my ancestors because, uh, you know, I know more. In fact, I would say there's a decent case for the opposite, right? The more knowledge we seem to get, the more technology we seem to have, the more advanced we are statistically, our relationships are more fragmented, jacked up, and broken than ever before. If I'm going to be honest, and you're going to be honest, like that feels discouraging at times. Like I think we look around our world and we look at like relationships with people we loved and like family members, interactions with one another, and we're just like, Oh my goodness, like this is just going downhill. It can feel like, you know, discouraging, but the good news is we're not without hope in this. You see, there is an ancient, countercultural, and time tested way to experience healthy relationships. There is an ancient and time-tested path that can break the power of generational relational brokenness, of divorce after divorce after divorce, or broken relationship after broken relationship. There is a way to, a, a time-tested path to heal the deepest of pains where we have maybe made a mess relationally of our lives. There is a time-tested path that even in our brokenness and our mess that we are not beyond reach. And Jesus shows us that 
path, and that path has been shown to us for thousands of years and been tested by millions and millions of people and has borne time-tested fruit. And so in this sermon series, we are going to learn these ways that at times are countercultural uh, to the world around us that can transform both our relationships, our brokenness, and even bring change and impact in the world around us. This conversation is going to be both, or this series is going to be both theological, meaning we're going to learn more about God, but also very practical. And so I want to invite you not to just listen and say, Pastor, that's a good sermon. That's a good word. But I want to invite us to do, right? Because the Bible calls us to love our neighbor and love is not a feeling, it's a verb. What I mean by that, if it's been a while since you took English classes a long time ago, that love is not just an emotion and warm fuzzies. Love is an action we take towards other people. It's a choice we make to serve, to get out of ourselves, and to love others. So we're going to invite you to actually cultivate love in our hearts and, and get deep into the brokenness of our heart in this series so that we come out looking more like Jesus and more healthy and more healed. And I believe we're going to have a good time together. Today, we are going to discover the primary reason that oftentimes we as people can suck and how we get out of that cycle. And before you get your underwear too much in a bundle that I'm saying the word suck at church, just hang on because we're gonna get a, a little explanation for that down the road, okay? So as we discover the way out on a foundational level, I wanna look at John chapter 17. So if you have a Bible, Open it up to John 17. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. We'd love for you to actually keep one of those. Um, John chapter 17. Now, this is at the beginning of the New Testament, one of the four Gospels. Um, and in these handful of, of um, chapters is something called Jesus' upper room discourse. And so I want you to kind of picture, picture this. You're one of Jesus' 12 disciples or followers or apprentices. You've been with him for a handful of years, and Jesus invites you to come to this large upper room for like an intimate supper, intimate gathering, dinner time with those who had been his, his closest followers. And what, what you don't know, though, is that this is the night before Jesus' death. And what's about to happen in this dinner conversation is that this is where communion, this idea of communion that's been passed down from generation to generation in the church, this is where this is going to be instituted. This is where Jesus is going to predict that one of the people at that table is going to betray him, right, Judas. This is where Jesus predicts his imminent death. And this is where he talks about when he dies and resurrects, the church will have it even better because we'll have the power of the Holy Spirit to live our lives with. This is called the upper room discourse. As we look in chapter 17, this is actually Jesus' longest prayer in the Bible that's recorded. And he's praying for the oneness and unity of God's people and that we would reflect him in the world. And so there's a lot here. We're going to just look at uh, four simple verses today, starting in verse 20 of John chapter 17. It says this, Jesus praying. He says, I do not ask for these, his followers only, but also um, for all who will believe in me. So all the followers of Jesus throughout time, that's us, through their word. So that 
we all may be one, just as you, Father, Jesus, talking to God, to, to, to the Father, just as you, Father, and me, and I are in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, all of us as followers, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me that we may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Now this is a really thick passage if your brain's hurting after those few verses you're not alone. Even as I was prepping this I just like sat there and read it again and again and again. So let me kind of try and simplify uh, a couple things I want us to take away today from this, and they hone around the phrase just as or even as. Two simple things from the phrase just as or even as. We see that phrase repeated. <clears throat> um, and this first one I want us to take away is God's love within himself. Jesus said in, in verse 21, it says, just as you're in me and I'm in you. So what, what's happening here is Jesus is talking to the Father. And he's saying, just as you have loved me and I have loved you. Then in verse 23, he says, even as you, Father, have loved me. And so we're seeing this intimate place with Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. We're seeing this intimate relationship between this, this between God and, and Jesus saying, Father, you have loved me. <clears throat> you have cared for me. We're, we love each other so much. We're, we're one. It's this intimate place. And so my first point here is that God is the picture of the perfect love that this world craves for. God is a picture of the perfect love that this world craves. You see, um, when I say God, I'm not just talking about nebulous God, all roads lead to the same God. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the God of Scripture and, and the, the God that the, the Orthodox Church has believed in from generation to generation. You see, we believe as Christians that uh, we have a God who emphatically claims that he is love, that God literally is Love, And not only that, we have a God who lives that out by how he relates even to himself. He's one in three persons. It's called the Trinity. And this is totally distinct from any other religion and any other God in the face of it. The fact that God claims that he is love and then lives that out is extremely distinct. For example, in Judaism and in Judaism in Islam, you have a God who is only one. And in fact, I've spent an extended amount of time in Muslim countries with, with friends who are Muslim that I dearly love. Uh, and I asked them, how do you know that God loves you? And they say, we don't really know for sure. We just hope that if we live well, we'll get to heaven one day, right? Or, or Hinduism, uh, many beautiful people I know who, who are Hindus, um, but it recognizes up to 333 million Gods. So there's kind of this illusion of individuality, and, but ultimately it's, it's, it's kind of like God is everywhere and everything all the time when you get down to it. Or Buddhism, uh, which God is not so much a personal being, it's a state of consciousness that's reached through eight different pathways. Um, what we believe 
about God is extremely distinct. The fact that we believe that God is love and then we see that embodied in him is incredible. I really believe it. Let's just look at this for a second. The love that we see, if you want to put up that graphic between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about, they are loving and serving one another. Let's just break this down for a second. In scripture, what we see is the Father gives away glory to the Son. God our Father is not like, glorify me. I want all the glory in the world. No, the Father is giving, God is giving his glory away to God the Son. And then what we see is the Son is giving glory back to the Father. No, no, I want you to be glorified. I want the world to know how good you are. And then what we see next is the Holy Spirit is giving glory to the Son of God, Jesus. No, 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 I want you to be glorified, right? So they're they're throwing glory at one another, exalting uh, the other person. Then we see God is empowering. The Father is empowering Jesus. The Spirit is also empowering Jesus. And Jesus is serving the Father and the Spirit is serving Jesus, right? Then we see Jesus submitting to God the Father. God, who is willing to submit. (laughs) That's, That's revolutionary, right? Then we see Jesus submitting to the Spirit. And we see a God that is not codependent within himself, or not independent, but interdependent. We have a God who is truly incredible and a God who is love. Can you imagine, right, if we just embodied some of that in the world? I want others to be built up. I want to live for the glory of others. I want to build up others. I want to serve others. I want to empower others. I'm willing to submit even to others. That is countercultural. We have a God who is other then, and we see it in how he loves. So that's what Jesus is talking about. Just as I'm in you and you're in me, that's what Jesus is talking about. That is the love that our world wants and needs. The second piece of just as, I want to look back at verse 21 and 23. Jesus said this, that all of us may be one, Father, just as Jesus and the Father and Father's in Jesus, Right? And if we do that, then the world will believe and know that Jesus is God. Verse 23, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved us even as you've loved me. So Jesus is saying essentially that God's desire, number two, is for his love to be replicated in us in the way we love God. Others. So this love we see between God the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, serving, building up, loving, empowering, caring. God's desire is that is replicated in us and then replicated out into the world. And where that starts is with vertical replication. It starts by God replicating that in us. You see that heart of God? Look at what we'll be like when we receive the love of God. Just a smiling, shining, you know, Circle uh, with hands. <laughs> Millie, great graphics, by the way. Those are awesome. I really love those graphics. So, really, that's God's desire. All of that love, honor, serving, building up, care. He wants to pour all of that Trinity into your heart. He wants to put all of that power and that love and that grace and that care. He wants to pour that upon you. 
He wants you to feel and experience and know his comfort, his care, his compassion, his kindness, and his tenderness. That is who our God is. And not only does he just give us to that nebulously, he puts it in us by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5 5 says that we receive God's love through the Holy Spirit who he put in us. So God does, doesn't, it's not just a, a, a theory of God's love. God, you can actually experience and feel these things because if you come to Jesus and you're saved, God puts himself in you. He puts the one who is love inside of you so that no matter what's happening around you, right, you can feel that love inside of you, right? You ever been like in a, a hot weather, right? You're outside, you're in the desert, and someone comes along in their car, tinted windows and air conditioning, and they're just like, just, you know, sipping a, you know, uh, just something cold, cold water, and you're like, I want to be in that, right? It's just unaffected. It's this area that's unaffected by, by the world around That's what we can be. No matter what the world around us, we can carry a love that is unaffected by the world because God has literally put himself inside of us. And so it starts with vertical replication and then moves to horizontal replication. You see what happens if you pull up the next graphic. When we are full of God's love, we start to spill that love into our relationships, right? If we're encountering a God that is honoring, empowering, serving, caring, building up unconditional love, what happens is, is uh, it spills. And so I think what Jesus was picturing here is a community of people who treat each other with such care, with such understanding in the midst of a world who doesn't seek understanding, with such sacrifice in a world that demands the world's sacrifice for it, itself, and such love, a community that embodies that so much that when the world looks on, they'll be intrigued because they don't see it or experience it anywhere else in the world. That the church, that what happens here in these relationships is to be a reflection of the Trinity to the world, like shining light through a prism. That's what God's design is. Y'all still tracking? Big concepts today. Y'all still tracking? John 13, 35, Jesus said this, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. I love is illustrated by this guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you guys might know. He was a church leader during Nazi Germany time uh, era. And um, so Bonhoeffer's leading this Christian community, which is you know, in and of itself extremely dangerous and, and frightful, uh, during Nazi Germany. And um, so Bonhoeffer comes from a lot of wealth, and his friend comes to him and is trying to kind of say, hey, you're too into this Jesus thing. Like, you know, you have what you need, just move on, whatever. Um, and, and so Bonhoeffer takes him to show him where, you know, these Nazi soldiers are being trained. And if you're familiar with the story of Nazi Germany, they're systematically being trained for war. They're systematically being trained to hate other people that look differently than themselves. And what Bonhoeffer says is that what is happening in the church must be stronger than what's happening in this group of people. 
that what we cultivate in the love for one another has to go deeper than the intensity of the hatred of Nazi Germany and the training of those soldiers. We need to raise up such Christians that are deeper and better rooted than the world hate the world's hatred or frustration around us. Now, we may not be in Nazi Germany, but we're living in a time of division, of complexity, of bitterness and hostility. And what happens in how we treat one another in here needs to go deep enough that we can withstand the worst in the world and the world would look on in wonder. Now, some of you might be saying, that's a nice idea, but if you look at my schedule tomorrow and my frustration for people, like that's, that's a cute idea, probably not gonna happen. And I understand, like, like I get, this weekend, I need to take a little time out from my kids, you know, so I could, I got, dad's gotta take a breather, you know what I mean? So, so I get it. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we live in a world where, we're ta- where people are being torn down and, and um, it's not just happening out there, but, but, I, but I see it happening in the church. And so if we're honest, it's not just people out there who suck sometimes. We kind of suck sometimes, right? And let me tell you why we start to do that and why I keep using this word. You see, you and I were made in our deepest parts of who we are. We're made to be loved. We're made to be loved unconditionally. We're made to know that we're gonna be fought for, that we're gonna be cared for, that someone knows us and and is gonna protect us and lead us. That is not a bad thing that that need is in you because you see, you're made in the image of God. And that's a beautiful thing. But if there is a lid on our heart and we're not receiving that unconditional perfect love from God, because maybe we're not trusting God or we're not bringing our issues to God or we're not opening up to God or we're believing lies about God, then what it creates, if you show us the next image, is kind of a black hole of need in our heart. And so what starts to happen is when we're not filled with God's love, we start to suck love from anyone or anything or any thing around us, right? And so instead of coming into the world overflowing with love, we come sucking, right? Like a vacuum. You ever go to a car wash and those vacuums, you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, oh, this is great. This is getting all this stuff. And then you start sucking up your money. And you're like, oh, dang, like, oh, that was, that, I needed that thing, right? That thing, it'll start sucking things, you know, it doesn't care about the value of that thing. It'll just suck wherever it touches, it's going to suck it up, right? And so that's what we tend to do. If, if we're not receiving the love of God, we come into relationships like this. You know, or we come to work like... You know, we open up our bank account or go on Amazon, like, you know, and we just start to go in the world around us, sucking, trying to suck life, trying to suck unconditional love around us, right? You know, it's okay to have needs in our relationships, but only God can meet the deepest needs and longings of our heart for worth and identity and purpose, And so what happens, this image, is that uh, when we don't look to God for our deepest affirmation, 
things and people start to become idols or like little gods in our life that we start to worship. The definition of an idol is excessive devotion to a person or a thing. So what happens when we start to run after looks and fortune and sex and fame and sexuality and pleasure and comfort, right? And why do we start to give those things excessive devotion, right? Why is that the definition? Because we're hoping that that person or thing will be the one who loves me unconditionally. We're hoping that person or that thing or that bank account or that spouse or that roommate or that date you have will be the one who perfectly understands you. They'll be the one that will never leave you or forsake you. We're hoping they'll be the one that will always be present for you when you have a need. We'll never ever say anything or do anything to possibly hurt you. And so we start to give excessive devotion. Because if I mess up, the thing might not really be like that, and then I might be disappointed. And so we start to worship those things or those people, right? And so you know what idolatry is at work in your life if you start to need something or someone for you to be okay with yourself. If you need a certain amount of money in your bank account to be okay with yourself, if you need to reach a certain place in your career to be okay with yourself and sleep at night, if you need to have a certain number of kids or your marriage to look a certain way or be married or whatever to be okay with yourself and sleep at night, that might be idolatry. And so here's what happens. People and stuff make terrible gods. They might be good. <laughs> you know, people are, it's, it's good. We need relationships. But people make bad gods. And so what happens when idolatry is happening and we're putting people in the place of God, destruction happens. That might happen a number of ways. Destruction happens in our lives because we're hoping that person will be the person that never disappoints us. And then we do, and then we start to get jaded and frustrated and not trust people, and we start to live with a bunch of walls in our life and frustration in our life. So destruction happens in us, but destruction also happens in other people. You see, people cannot carry the weight of our expectations that they would be God in our lives. And so then they get crushed, and our relationships get strained, and organizations we're a part of like work, and we start to idolize our boss's opinion or someone's opinion or our work performance, then that organization starts to get crushed. We leave a trail of destruction. And not only that, we live in a world with limited resources. So if we're hoping that people and things would be our unlimited and unconditional source of affirmation and love, then here's what starts to happen. We start to fight and to stretch and to get as much of that as I can because it's going to run out eventually, right? We fight over our spouse's attention. Once they had kids, all of a sudden, I'm not getting the attention I hope for, right? Or we start to fight over fame or we start to fight over approval or we fight, start to fight over attention or even we start to fight over ethnicity, and what's best, and what's the right way. By the way, uh, in, in eight days on Monday, not this Monday, but the next Monday, we're doing a reconciliation roundtable talking about how do we live the ways of Jesus in the conversation of race and reconciliation. So we're gonna get you more information on that two Mondays from now. 
It's going to be a great time. Or we fight over wealth, right? We fight over rightness. Doesn't take long on Twitter to see a fight over rightness. And here's what happens if we're fighting over limited resources because we're idolizing them. James chapter 4 says it clearly. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire something and don't have it, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, so I'm not asking of God. So he's saying our fighting, our division, our strife, and even murder, you know where that comes from? I'm not getting what I want. At the core, I'm not getting the love I want. I'm not getting the approval I want. I'm not getting the security I want. I'm not being known by anyone. So I'm gonna start lashing out and and getting whatever I can to keep as much for myself. And we start to become greedy grabbers, right? And so let me say it simply. Wherever our lives, we have dissension, manipulation, control, scoffing, disunity horizontally, something is broken in the flow vertically. So here's, here's a simple solution. If we're jacked up horizontally, which we all got a little jacked upness, right? I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. We all got it. You know what I'm saying? We all look at our relationships. We're all jacked up a little bit somewhere, right? If we're jacked up horizontally, we've gotta reconnect vertically, Here's the solution, soaking and receiving the love and the truth of God. It's that simple. Like, like, yeah, we're gonna, this is a numerous part series. We're gonna give a lot of practicals and how we live that out. But like, we need a lot of soaking and receiving the love of God. Now, any uh, meat eaters out there, I, I like meat. I like a good seasoned meat. Anyone like a good seasoned meat? You see, here's how that works. You've got to soak and marinate that meat overnight. You soak it in those juices, in those oils, in that seasoning, and you put it on the grill, and you hear that oil you know, crackling and, and cooking, and then you eat it, and that juice starts flowing in your mouth. You know it's been marinated, right? Amen. So I need an amen out there. All right, so um, that's how we're to be in the world that we would be so soaked in the love and the flavor of God that when we come in proximity to other people and we're pressed and squeezed, that what comes out of what people taste is the flavor and the love of God. The best thing that we can give the world horizontally is investing deeply in our vertical relationship with God. The best thing we'll do for the world is sitting with God. It's receiving the love of God. You know, we've got a lot of people and a lot of Christians even out trying to fix the world right now. And, and that's not bad. Like, like, we all need a lot of help. We ought to be doing something, right, to love our neighbor. But so often, if we're doing it out of emptiness, it becomes self-righteousness, right? Want to be seen by someone else. Or I, don't, I don't want you to think that I, I'm, 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 I'm not a racist. So I'm going to post this and say this because I don't want you to think I'm, I'm not that guy, right? And, and man, 
when empty people try to fix the world with an empty heart, it further breaks the world. When we go and try and fix the world with an empty heart because we need to feel better about ourselves, we end up further breaking the world. Listen, you have a God who loves you unconditionally. You don't have to do anything for it. He just loves you. And what he wants to do is take that from here to here. Some of you grew up in the church. When you worship, it's stuck here. God wants to move that from your head to your heart. Some of you, maybe that's the first time you would hear that and experience today. And God wants you to know his love in your deepest being of who you are. And what that looks like for me is just taking time, sitting with God in his truth, talking to him, receiving from him. It's who he is. And so in a minute, we're actually going to do that together as part of our response. We're going to sit and just receive God's love because in most other spaces of our world is chaos. And so I want to create some peace in here to receive God's love. And so when we think about applying this message in our life, you know, I think a lot of us, when we think about our relationships, marriage, kids, work, family, if we look around, like, like we all see some broken places. All of us, we grew up being trained broken ways to relate to other people, either through our family or through, you know, how we kind of had to learn to survive in this, in this world. And I think some of us, are just tired today. We're tired from trying to please people. We're tired from trying to, to, to run through hoops and to please these people we're putting up as gods. So I want to ask you in that place that you're feeling that horizontal tension and brokenness, how's your vertical relationship with God in that space? Are you being in that place? Are you frustrated with your boss or your spouse? Are you frustrated, you know, on social media? How's your vertical relationship with God in that space? Like in that moment. What I want to invite us to do is learn a new way when we feel those things and run into those spaces that all of us have in our life of pain and anger and brokenness. Stop. Don't react. Don't post. Don't make that comment to your spouse. Don't manipulate that person at work. Stop. Surrender the situation to God and soak or receive the love of God.